Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we move towards the end of our series called Do Good, we come to a simple but profound message from the book of James. While the world around us gathers more and more evidence against Christians, we must offer the culture an answer that not only speaks of the gospel, but offers it with an undeniable demonstration of our own ongoing transformation in Christ. Thanks for listening today as we seek to encourage one another to become doers of God's Word. When I was in uh, junior high and high school, I got involved with uh, the Florence basketball team. And I remember my, my JV coach was, he was quite a guy. He worked us uh, little scrappy kids harder than, harder than any of us were prepared for. Um, and there was always a, a phrase that he would have in coaching us. He would say, you need to execute. You need to execute the play. Execution was always the main thing. And uh, top of this guy's list, besides hustle, uh, was free throws. And so at the end of every practice, no matter what we did, he would put us to the line. And we, before we could hit the locker room, we had to make 20 free throws. Now, that wasn't 20 in a row. That was just you counted up and you, you had to practice and make 20. Now, I was a pretty good free throw shooter. In fact, I at a camp when I was younger won the free throw champion. It's one of the few trophies that I had that my sister never got. Uh, I love shooting free throws, right? I, I felt like you, you, could, you could get yourself all ready. You could get yourself set. And as long as it was practice, I had no problem Except when it was game time. Except when everything was on the line, that's when I would start to get nervous and sweat poured on my side. And I, I would suddenly, all that confidence was gone completely. And I don't know if my percentage was very good, but I do remember that whenever there was a technical foul, that one of our players had to go and shoot a free throw. Um, I never wanted to be the guy to go because I was always afraid I would, I would miss. There was this other kid on the team, though. His name was Jeff. Jeff was never afraid. You, you could put him at the line, and he, didn't, he wouldn't make them all, but he wasn't afraid. He would go up there. In his mind was execution. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get this done with a kind of confidence that transcended that moment between practice and game day. This is practice. right? This right here is rehearsal. This is where we come to get all stretched out, right? Get our, our spiritual heart rate up and really make sure that we're conditioned for game day when we go outside these doors. And if you look outside the top of our doors, it'll say, you're now entering the mission field. That's what God has you and I here for. And so I'm, I'm entitling this message, Execution. And that's the, that's the subject we're going to look at as we're in this series on do good. It's not enough for us to just get really competent in practice. It's not enough. We have to be willing to have the kind of faith and courage and readiness of spirit so that when it comes time to step to the line, when the coach puts you in, that you're ready to execute and you're ready to, to do what you're here to do. You know, there used to be a time years ago when the church was seen as the societal pillar of benevolence. 
years ago. That's what, that's what it would look like. If there was a church in your town, you knew that the society was going to be better off because the church was going to be generous. There used to be a time where people would look and they would find homes and property values would actually go up if there was a church in the middle of your town. Because you knew that the church was an anchor of your neighborhood's confidence for safety and, and, and integrity in living. There was a time where the church used to be identified as the channel of public service. When it, when it came to helping the neighbors, you didn't have to call a government agency. You knew the church was the primary conduit of making sure that service and helping neighbors was at the top of their list. We don't, we don't live in that world anymore. Uh, today, churches are seen as a public menace. I was reminded of this on Thursday. I'm not sure if you saw the news report. Uh, Grace Life Church in Canada, in the Alberta province, in Edmond, um, because they were meeting during COVID, the pastor was arrested and the uh, government authorities erected multiple fences around the church to keep them darn Christians from gathering and becoming this public nuisance to the rest of us. That's, that's how you are seen today. Now, the church today is seen as self-serving. When people look at the church, they see those Christians who are always asking for money. Man, hold on to your wallet. Who always says that here? Right? Yeah, that's going, right? Isn't that true? Isn't that how, how the church is depicted? If you're a Christian, well, what is it that you want? What's the bottom line? Because I know those greedy Christians just want money. And if that's not even identified true individually with a person's personal experience, that's what's being propagated across Christian television as we look to these incredible edifices to what ends up being the glory of, this, of the pastor or the glory of the speaker and how many Christian ministry websites are not named after Jesus Christ but named after some man or woman. Yeah, the, the world has caught on to this. And the church today is seen as self-serving. And the church today is also seen as being characterized as bigoted, misogynistic, patriarchal, racist, and every single kind of phobia that the world can concoct. That's how the church is characterized. Now the, the end times, the last days before Jesus' return are depicted for us in God's word. Um, the Bible does not depict them as a time of great fear. And I think that's one of the things that often gets um, mistaken within Christianity is seeking to identify the end of the world is going to happen when everybody's panicked. That's actually not what the Bible says. Jesus says um, in, in the last days, it will be like the days of Noah. Now, the days of Noah weren't characterized by panic. The days of Noah were characterized by self-indulgence. And, and, and the glory of man where sin was rampant in the heart all the time. That's what characterized the days of Noah. Paul says in 2 Timothy that in the last days people will be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. So once more, the, the characterization of the, the rampant, permitted, even celebrated kind of immorality 
in a society. That is what's going to characterize the last days. So I wonder, what if we're in the last days? And God has entrusted you with the message of reconciliation. Will it be heard? You see, I, I bring up these, the, these three examples not because I think that the church is in need of a, a, a PR campaign. We've got to do better marketing. That's, that's, that's not what I'm concerned with. However, our image is not one of that of a corporation. Our image is that of a reflection of our Savior. And if our image before the world is continually degraded by Christians who don't know how to properly execute the faith that has been given to us, they will never be interested in hearing the compelling message of the good news. That's the problem. For they will have mischaracterized Jesus. You guys catch the problem here? Everybody sees what, uh, what we're talking about? The, the world used to see the church as something that served the community. But over time, we've been characterized as those who only care about ourselves. And, and we, we, need to, we need to do a better job preparing here so that we can execute properly what God has asked of us in his word and by the leading of his spirit. So execution is the subject that we're looking at. We're going to be uh, in uh, James chapter 1. One tiny little verse that hopefully is going to ruin your whole week. <laughs> ruin mine. So that's all right. So that's a good thing, though. That's what we need, right? Any sinners in church today, right? We need to be reminded of this emphasis towards obedience. So in James chapter 1, we're going to primarily just look at verse 22, but then kind of just we're going to tiptoe around the context in a few other places. Uh, I've got four observations for us to identify, followed by three conclusions that will lead to three points of application for us. I'm going to read the verse, and then we'll dive in with some observations. James chapter 1, verse 22. Everybody find it? Say amen if you got it. All right, here we go. James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I told you it was going to ruin your week. <laughs> That's it. So that is our verse for this morning. Um, I, I want to break down a couple of things for this uh, in observations. Uh, first thing he says is don't listen only. Don't listen only because only listening is actually incomplete. You, you, you have not actually accomplished that which the word was designed to deliver if you only listen. Now, now, this is where just coming to church is really pointless. It's basically useless. Uh, it's, it's not the full aspect of that which needs to be accomplished. As I thought of this, I thought... Um, of the way in which other things that we say uh, need to be followed up by action, otherwise they're left incomplete. Uh, if, if one of my kids uh, is, in, is in the bathroom and I hear from the bathroom, Dad, we're all out of toilet paper! If I hear that, and I say, I heard you. Is that complete? Is that taken care of? No, there's, uh, there's, there's more that needs to happen. And, and James brings this out in the next couple of verses. Look with me in verse twenty. 23, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror 
And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So, yeah, uh, James is thinking of the bathroom, too, just, just like my illustration here, right? If you, if you go and you, you see yourself in the mirror, and you do one of these preparing for church, like whatever you ladies do, I don't know what you do. Right? I do one of these sometimes, right? Yeah. And you see a big piece of lettuce right there, just right there in the mirror. And then you turn and you forget completely. Nobody would do that, right? Who, who here would do that? You would know instantly that that which the word as a mirror gives a reflection to the, the sin, the ugliness, that which doesn't belong in our lives, the, the, the lethargy, the sloth, the ineptitude, the rebellion. When you see it, if you just turn away, you know what you're doing? Smiling at everybody. You're kind of looking like somebody who looks a little awkward and, and, and the work is left unfinished. Because the word preached is not meant to just be listened to. There's more that needs to happen. Secondly is this. uh, Listening only, it's not only incomplete, it's also deceptive. Oh, you didn't know that the devil was in church today. The, The devil would love for every person as they're worshiping God to just listen. And that's it. And do nothing else. And we actually, as a society, as a Christian society, have developed, I think, a rapport of being okay with that. Many of us, I know in my life, there were times where I felt like, oh, I went to church. I went to church. I checked the box. The spiritual box is taken care of. And now I can go on with what I'd rather do in the day. And we've segmented. We've actually removed our life Monday through Saturday from what's happening one hour on Sunday. Who, who am I fooling when I think like that? I, I'm, I'm lying to myself is what I'm doing. And the devil sits back and smiles. As long as that deception can happen inwardly, his work is done. No, it's, it's like a person, if they were to go to the doctor, let's say you had an appointment and you show up and you're sitting in the, you know, the table with the wrinkly paper on the thing that you have to sit on and feel like a little four-year-old sitting there waiting for the doctor and they come in and they say uh i got bad news we got we got the uh the results back from your blood test and your cholesterol is is close to critical um i I would highly recommend that you adjust your diet get some more fiber take the maybe the red meat out the bacon out and uh you're there sitting listening to the doctor uh, eating some chips. <laughs> okay. You get home and, and you fry up some more sausage and throw extra butter in there because butter is great. Right? What are you doing? Your your wife comes says, "Didn't you? Didn't you go to the doctor?" Yep. I listened to the doctor. <laughs> that, that's not enough. That's not it. You 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 think that something was actually being accomplished, but who have you really fooled? You you've just fooled yourself. In fact. The, the degradation of your body is going to continue until eventually you... I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that that might be spiritually true. I was, I was recently reminded with some other local pastors of the way in which the reality is not everybody in church is saved. Not everybody in church is actually a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know what they are? They're listeners. But that's all. And so they've actually found a way to trick themselves 
into thinking they are, oh, I'm, I'm going to heaven. But they really don't know Jesus. Jesus really doesn't know them. So uh, it's, it's listening only is not only incomplete, it's also deceptive. And that's a dangerous one. Number three is this. Kingdom transformation, it begins inward with you accepting the word. So it's, it starts on the inside. And for this, we got to back up into verse 21. So verse 22 is the one that uh, James is helping us to see. Look, you need, you need to do what it says. Right? Don't just listen to it. Listening is part of it, though. So in verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Man, that's some good news. This, this is the appeal, right? Look, you got rubbish in your life. Get rid of the filth. And with humility, you want to accept the word of God. And he uses this agricultural term as it's planted. Now, we're getting into spring. Anybody else like, uh, like flowers and, and kind of tilling the soil? Anybody like me? I really love that. It's like my favorite time of the year until my dogs go outside and start digging. All up. Anyways, that's a whole different sermon. Leave my dogs out of this one. Um, uh, I was looking this week as I was pulling out some of the old winter weeds and kind of cleaning things up. I saw these tiny little green sprouts. Uh, we have some hostas. Anyone else have any hostas in their garden? And uh, that's an annual type of a plant, right? It's, it's not perennial. It doesn't, it, it doesn't um, uh, need you to replant it. They come as a bulb, right? And then every year, what do they start to do? Just start poking out and they're beautiful as they grow, right? Absolutely beautiful. This is like the word of God. Those, those hostas will not grow unless they're first planted in the soil and there with humility they absorb the nutrients given to them. That's the same for you and I. We have to understand that to be transformed, because this is what God is all about, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as in heaven. That's our whole deal here. We want to live in such a way that the rule, like a kingdom rule, a king rules, that the rulership of Jesus Christ is evident as we go from this place. That's what we're all about. Where does that begin? Turn to your neighbor. Say, it begins in you. Yeah, all right. Turn to the other neighbor on the other side. Don't say, it begins with you. That's right. It, it, it starts. And I want, I want you to see what James says here. James says, getting rid of the evil isn't the only part. It's the word that can save you. Has to be received. And it starts on the inside. Second, kingdom transformation leads somewhere. It starts inward. But it leads outward. And this we see back in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I think of, I think of Chelsea with, uh, with the baby. She, she has this new life that's growing within her. Now, what happens if that life never comes out? Third grade is going to be real awkward if, if that <laughs> child never comes out. Right? Yeah, the, the, the real bad news is that both the baby dies, the life dies, and the one carrying it dies if it never comes out. You, you have been given new life. The, the Spirit of God, if it's planted within you, is alive. But do you know what has to happen for it to live? It has to be displayed outward. It always leads outward. 
And if it doesn't, if it never does, it very likely is never going to be the life that will produce anything. At the very best, you will be of those who sought your own glory and not the glory of of Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved, as Paul writes in Colossians, but only as one escaping through the flames. For your work and effort was not to bring glory to God by building with gold and silver and precious stones. You were really after, man, uh, I want to carry a sign on the the side of the road and condemn people because I'm more righteous than them. Or I want to really amass more money and build this incredible edifice that makes me so comfortable and everything caters to the way I like it. And you never look to help your neighbor. And you never look to serve the community. And do you know what happens to the church's reputation? Do you know what happens to God's reputation? If this never leads outward, it dies. It dies. So kingdom transformation, it begins within, but it always must go out. And this is what James teaches us at verse 22 as he says, do what it says. So let's, let's get a couple conclusions here that we can build on from this. Um, this first one, this is really significant. And I had to, even as I wrote it down, um, I, I did find it in, in a book, even though it's, it's exactly in line with what our series says. Uh, but this may take you some time to really find out all the implications of. The good news and good works are inseparable. I would, I would encourage you just to, just to dwell on that for a moment, because if you are in agreement with me, with that being a true conclusion, there are some serious implications for you then. Because if you've received the good news and we're in agreement that good works are inseparable, you, you cannot separate those two. Boy, that really means I need to be about doing good. I, I really need to be investing myself into helping my world around me, seeking the good and the prosperity of my community. That's that's what God has me for. If the good news is inseparably united to good works. A couple of verses that help us with this. In 1 John 4, John says, uh, He has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love his brother. So if you've experienced the the love of God, that, that vertical reaching down and grabbing hold of you, and and you and your spirit say, I love God. John says, hey, you know what comes after that? you got to love your brother. That horizontal line, that horizontal view as we look to see how we can help one another, that also has to be true. You know, Jesus says something very similar. I had a friend of mine even mentioned this verse to me this morning as we were chatting. Jesus is answering the question from a religious person. says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And up at that, at that point, uh, this religious dude was like, uh-huh, preach it, Jesus. Yep, tracking with you. But then Jesus says this, the second is like it. I'm interested in the second. I didn't ask you about the second. I only asked you about the greatest. If you were to read this in the original language, when he says is like it, The second is like it. That verb means that it's of the same quality. It's of the same emphasis. It's of the same prioritization. That's what he means by it's like it. So the the first and the second really are linked together. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So, yeah, I think it's true. Uh, good news and good works, they're inseparable. I think that's what James is trying to tell us here. Don't just listen to the good news. Don't just listen to it. Do it. Do what it says. In, in, in James's understanding, there's an inward part of this. The, the inward has to do with how you are relating to holiness, how you are allowing sin to have free reign in your life. So it begins there, but it always moves itself then outward. Uh, if you look with me in James and jump down to verse 25, um, I'm sorry, 27, verse 27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So to help, to help the helpless, to help the poor, to do good in your community. And then what does he say after that? Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do you see the inward and the outward? The pollution of, that happens inward, right? That you want to keep from happening. And you make sure that the good news is being shown by how you live outwardly. I was trying to think of any other things that are, are words that need to be followed with works. Um, ha, has anyone ever said this to somebody? I'll be there in a second. Has you ever said that before? But then you didn't show up? Uh, no, not, not me. That never happens to me. Yeah, that, there you go. It's an example of a, of, of, a, of a word that's spoken that needs follow through. Or uh, what if somebody said, uh, the house is on fire. Okay. <laughs> you, you would expect to see action, right? Um, uh, Dad, there's, there's water coming out of the bathroom. Yeah. All right. I heard you. We could think of a lot of examples like this, right? We could, we could think of a lot of uh, a parallels for exactly what James is saying. If this is truly good news, it has to be connected with good works. Second is this. Uh, God is training you to be spiritually philanthropic. God is training you. Ooh, that's good. Sounds like a coach, doesn't it? God's training you to be spiritually generous. He's training you and I to be the type of people who know that which is given to us has been given so that we can give it away. Now, James is going to say another place. I, 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 just for sake of time, I won't have you, uh, I won't read it. But if you go to chapter five, here's a little fun little uh, trip down uh, greed. Look at chapter five, verse one through six sometime. You can just put that as uh, something to look at when you get some time. But that, that would be the opposite of what James is asking, where people are so greedy, all they're concerned with is growing rich in and of themselves. No, God is training you. He's training and equipping you and I to be generous, spiritually philanthropic. We read this verse in, in Jeremiah. Lois read it for us, right? Uh, it, it starts out by saying, and this is what the Lord says. That was verse four. This is what the Lord says. Why is, God, why is God saying this to his people? A couple of things. He says, as I send you as exiles into a foreign world, I want you to seek the welfare of that world. I want you to seek the good of the people who live around you. He also, in that same context, if you can remember what Lois read, says, and when you go there, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. Don't, she says, I want you to increase. Don't decrease in number. Wow. He's, God is speaking to the nation of Israel here, but he's speaking down through time to the church as well. 
What do you think he wants the church to do? Decrease? Oh, man. I want you guys to increase as you live in the land. And as you live there as exiles, I want you to seek the welfare. For the, for the welfare in the city you will find is actually welfare for you. As, which means as the city around you prospers, you will as well. God seeks to bless you through you blessing those around you. Uh, this shows up in the New Testament as well. A, a, a verse that's very common in the series, right? We've covered this many times. First Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, dear friends, I urge you as, look, foreigners and exiles. This, Jer- Jeremiah's message wasn't just to Jeremiah. They, they were exiles, right? They weren't in their homeland. Guess where you are today? Are you home? Say, I'm only passing through. I'm only passing through. That's right. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my citizenship. I truly don't belong on this cursed side of earth, but God has me planted here now for a reason. And I'm as a foreigner and an alien. Look at the dual aspect. You'll see those two things again, inward and outward. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And then outward, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see, see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day that he visits us. So a second big conclusion here. God is training you. He's equipping you through his word. I wrote this down. I said, the preaching of the word is designed for our development and generosity. The kingdom transformation that God works by his spirit through the preaching of his word, it's designed to make you overflow with generosity. All right, thirdly is this. Doing good is its own blessing. Doing good is its own blessing. I, I want to I cover this and explain what I mean by it. As we've been talking about this series that we're in to, to do good, I want us to be careful because you will get quickly discouraged. I mean, you're going to anyways. I guarantee you, the more you seek to serve God outside of this building, the more you're going to put a target on your back for the evil one, and you will get discouraged. So let's, let's think for a moment about what it is that we're actually measuring our success by. Uh, Peter, in the book of Acts, he, he preaches a sermon very early on, and 3,000 people get saved. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was you? That'd be... That'd be amazing if that happened. If you flip a few chapters further, now you see Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, and he preaches a sermon to the Pharisees, and they kill him. (laughs) Who was successful, Peter or Stephen? They both were. They both were. But we, see, we have to be careful measuring our, our criteria for success in doing good because if we think it's reaping a harvest, you've misunderstood God's program. Uh, God says in, in 1 Corinthians that there are some who plow the soil, there are some who water the seed, some who plant the seed, and others who harvest. You, you might just be a, a waterer. You might just be a seed planter, but you've got to be careful. Don't get discouraged if your neighbor is like, eh, I don't want you doing good for me. Be like, that's okay. Because you know what? Doing good is its own blessing. I, I do good uh, not because I expect to get something in return, 
but because I know God has already blessed me. Look with me in verse 25 on this of chapter 1. James says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Notice it doesn't say he will be blessed with the result of what he does. It says he will be blessed in what he does. Are you guys tracking with me on this? The reason why I'm taking a moment to really like explain this is because I don't want you to get discouraged. Here's a, here's a, here's a good word from the book of Proverbs. Um, one person is generous and yet grows more wealthy, but another withholds more than he should and comes to poverty. A generous person will be enriched. And the one who provides water for others will himself be satisfied. And one other verse that we looked at back when we studied endurance, this is in the end of Galatians. Paul says, don't get weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't faint, if you don't give up. So doing good is its own blessing. All right. So what do we do this? Let, let, Let me see if I can wrap this up for us this morning. As I was thinking through the importance of application, it's not enough just to hear the word. How many Sundays do I put application up here? Everyone. Yeah. I am just like you. I am working on this. I am doing my best to find Purity inwardly, obedience inwardly, humbly receiving the word, and then outwardly living my faith. I am working on that. I hope you are as well. So as I think to application, I think, what do I need to hear? What, what is the encouragement that I need from this passage? And so I got to go right back again to the text. Verse 21, here's number one. Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Look, look with me in verse 21. He says, therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. I think we can all admit that there are these moments in our lives where that temptation of heart and mind to betray somebody, to hold on to a grudge, to slander somebody, to think with lust after somebody. To approach greed and jealousy and covetousness and to really seek our own happiness. If you're honest, we've all been there from time to time. Um, It's so offensive to God. It's so loved by the world, but it's so offensive to God. This was a a couple weeks ago. I noticed that in our bathroom, in the shower, uh, the water was not going down the drain. And if there's anybody else uh, who is married to a woman who has long hair, uh, that hair finds its way into the drain and over time clogs up the drain. So being the chivalrous man that I am, I, I get out the pliers and I, I say, I'm going to fix this thing. And some of you know where I'm going with this. Has anyone else ever had to just unclog a drain? And there's a, oh, there's a little, oh. And I mean, it's just, it's, oh, I got it. Just, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Do you see your sin that way? That's what, that's what your sin is like. 
to God. It's, it's so repulsive. It's, oh, it's sickening. And God knows it's not what he has designed you for. It's not what's best for you. So, so we start here. Right? If we're going to pay attention to good works being inseparable with the good news, we have to say that the inward working of the good news has to work within us. So don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Start here. Second is this. Seek the welfare of your city. That's our passage out of uh, Jeremiah. That's not just for the Israelite people who are exiles. That's for the church who is also in exile. And I promise you this, as you and I get mobilized to begin to execute our faith the way that we should, you will begin to change the public perception for the reputation of God. It's got to start somewhere, though. It's got to start somewhere. I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm holding to the promises that I'm reading in God's word. You and I are called as aliens and strangers to... Get rid of the sinful desires that wage against your soul and live good lives among the pagans that they see your good works and then glorify God. That's not me. That, I'm, I'm holding to this concept because it's the promise that I'm reading in God's word. So how do you do that? Where's God calling you? Where's the free throw line for you? I wrote, I wrote down a couple of things. It could be city council. It could be a school board. I'm so thankful for uh, Donna, the emphasis that she has over in North Dickinson to want to pray for the teachers and the students. That's awesome. How encouraged would you be as a teacher to know you've got a member of the Christian community in the parking lot praying for you? Are you kidding me? You know how much prayer teachers need? Have you met your kids? (laughs) What, what, what 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 a blessing that is. What a public witness for the reputation of God. So maybe, maybe a, a school board you could be involved in. What about the highway cleanup crew? I, I, I thank God that every year our youth leaders, God bless them, have put on the vests and have put their arms around these young people to walk with them and say, this is part of being a Christian. Part of being a Christian is we do what prisoners do. We, we pick up the litter that other people so flagrantly just throw away. And we do it because we want to bless our community. Or, or being part of a beautification committee, right? Be, being part of how, how can we help our town and our city be blessed? Or maybe it's just helping. Do, do you know of a neighbor that needs a hand? Look, there's no snow anymore, so that's covered, right? But man, there's other ways. If you open your eyes and you look, this is the call. This is what execution of your faith looks like. It means seeking what is best for the people around you. Well, you pastor, you mean for those who, who can give me something in return, right? No. Jesus says, love, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who mistreat you and, and hurt you, for great is your reward in heaven. All right, number three is this. Uh, this one's easy, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the, the, the dude says, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus tells him a story about a Samaritan. A Samaritan! A Samaritan? You got to know Jews hate Samaritans more than they even hate Gentiles. They hate Samaritans because Samaritans intermarried with the Gentiles and polluted the purity of their bloodline. So them, not only people we dislike, them traitors. We can't stand them. And Jesus says a Samaritan is the one who sees the banged up buddy, the Jewish fellow who's left for dead. And he's the one who anoints him, 
bandages him, puts him on his donkey, carries him to the inn, pays for what he needs. So who, who of these three guys, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, showed him mercy? Well, tough, tough situation for the guy there. We need to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. When I went to college in Ohio, we had chapel every day. And I remember the first time walking into the chapel, all I saw before chapel started, all I saw in every one of the pews was car keys and wallets. Do you know what the students were doing? They were reserving their seat by leaving their wallet on the pew. Not just one. Every single pew that you went to saw that the students collectively said, we watch out for one another. We love one another. And we trust one another. What an amazing picture of of loving your neighbor. That, That you could live in a culture where your doors were unlocked. Um, I, I'm thankful um, my neighbor, who, who doesn't come to ch- church uh, here, uh, my, my neighbor came up to me this past week and said, hey, we're, we're headed out of town on vac- vacation. Uh, so what? Why are you telling me? That's not what I said. I said, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything that you need at all while you're gone? Is there anything that I can watch for you? Because God's blessed me and I know I am here on earth to be a witness to my neighbor. And so this is a privilege for me to love them. And they have the trust enough with me to, to say, yeah, here, here are all the things that we need that we need done because we trust you. What a beautiful way to envision what this looks like. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Lastly is this. Let the church be seen as rich towards the poor. I think I have in your sermon notes uh, the preposition among the poor. I I changed that to towards, uh, not because I'm saying something different there, but I want to avoid a misunderstanding. The church is not to be seen as like this this rich, conquering, uh, comfortable place while they're suffering. That's not what I mean. The church needs to be seen as being rich towards the poor. Do you know, oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I say that. We got a lot of money in our budget. We, we, I think, are close to having too much money in our budget. How awesome do you think it would be if we, if we found ways by the Spirit's leading? Don't make sure this is of your own flesh. This is not something you figure out. This is something God leads us to. But wouldn't it be awesome if the Spirit of God led us to bless our community? What could you do if you had access to that? Because you know, you know what? You don't get to take the money with you when you go. It stays. All you get to do is be a good steward of it and use it the right way. And so the church needs to be seen as rich to the poor. I guarantee you this. You saw the promise from Proverbs, right? The more we do this, the more God will help us to do this. So there's no downside to it. Get rid of the filth. Let's work on the inward. Seek the welfare of your city where God's planted you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then let's change that public perception so that once again, people think, hey, I heard that there's some real estate available in Segola. I heard there's a church there. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's time to execute, team. It's time to go. Let's pray.